1978, 15-year-old Mary Vincent was a runaway hitchhiking her way to California when she naively accepted a ride from a stranger despite several warning signs. I'm Jelsey May, and this is Exhibit May. It was the summer of 1978. Mary Vincent was a fiercely independent but naive 15-year-old. It was an act that was brutal and heartless beyond belief. The crime committed against Mary Vincent has left her marked for life. Mary Vincent was born on May 17, 1963, into a family of seven children in Las Vegas. Her father, a mechanic, and her mother, a blackjack dealer, met and married during her father's military service. Growing up, Mary struggled to connect with her parents, often skipped school, and eventually ran away from home to live with her troubled boyfriend in Sausalito, California. But shortly after her move, her boyfriend was arrested on assault charges, leaving her uncertain about where to go. Not knowing where else to turn, Mary briefly returned to Las Vegas before fleeing again in 1978. During a brief period, she slept in unlocked cars before deciding to hitchhike almost 400 miles to Corona, where her grandfather lived. She hoped that upon reaching there, she could start a fresh chapter and pursue a career in dancing, something she was really passionate about. On September 29, 1978, the determined 15-year-old packed her backpack and headed to a busy highway in Modesto. There, she joined two fellow hitchhikers where they all stood displaying signs indicating their route to Southern California. With Mary's youth and beauty, it didn't take long for a blue van driven by a 50-year-old man named Lawrence Singleton to pull up beside them. Upon assessing the group, he gestured for Mary to join, stating he could only drive her as far as Los Angeles, a mere 45 minutes away from where she intended to go. And when the man pulled up, they noticed he had an empty van There was nothing in the back, but he said he only had room for one person. The other two people behind me said, you shouldn't go in there, you know, if he's not willing to take other people and just a female, that's not the safest bet. But at the time, I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't a daredevil or anything. I was just desperate to get home. I I could not live another day out alone. Exhausted from spending the past few days baking under the hot sun, she brushed off their concerns and climbed into the passenger seat. As they began their drive south, everything seemed normal and the man appeared pleasant. That is, until a moment arose that made Mary uneasy. When she sneezed, Lawrence touched her neck, asking if she was unwell. Startled by the abrupt physical contact, she swiftly moved away. Despite the initial discomfort, with nothing further to intensify the situation, Mary relaxed again and eventually dozed off to sleep. 
Further down the road, Mary woke from her nap to freeway signs signaling they were on the wrong route far from her intended destination. Feeling frustrated and scared, she confronted Lawrence with a sharp stick she had found in the car demanding that he guide them back on the right path. In a composed manner, Lawrence admitted it was an honest mistake and promptly turned the car around. Trusting his words, they continued and eventually stopped at a rest area. Watching him exit for a bathroom break and sensing that something felt off, Mary perceived this as a potential opportunity to escape. Upon opening the passenger door and stepping out to make a run for it, she realized her shoelaces were undone and leaned down to tie them. Without her knowledge, Mary was suddenly struck repeatedly in the back of her head with a sledgehammer. After collapsing to the ground and losing consciousness, she was dragged back into the van and driven further down a nearby canyon. Upon regaining consciousness, Mary found herself in a vastly different situation from the peaceful nap she had enjoyed just hours before. In absolute horror, she recognized her assailant as none other than Lawrence Singleton, the very man she had trusted. I wanted to go home. That's the only thing that was in my mind is that I wanted to go home. I remember everything, every detail. With her arms bound to the van's walls, it left her unable to escape the nightmare of sexual abuse and torture she was about to endure that entire night. When I came to, I was tied up in the back of his van. He began raping me. I asked why he was doing this. There was no response. He raped me a few times probably about six times and he fell asleep but I couldn't I couldn't get away because I was completely tied as a morning light emerged Mary battered and bloody pleaded with her attacker to release her vowing not to involve the authorities I was begging for my life asking him to set me free and he replied you want to be set free I'll set you free He then escorted her to the roadside and laid her down before retrieving a hatchet from his van. Terrified and confused, Mary watched as he walked towards her, raised the hatchet, and barbarically began striking her arms. And he lifted up the hatchet, and that's when I I tried fighting him off and was kicking and screaming, but I was realizing, wait a minute, I'm still holding onto his hand, but I'm, I'm laying on the ground. Amid her screams, her cries pierced the air as her limbs were brutally mutilated, all the while unaware that both forearms were being detached from her body. Mary was then tossed over a cliff near Del Puerto Canyon, fell 30 feet into a ravine, and stuffed into a concrete pipe. Feeling thoroughly content with his grisly deed, Lauren said, Okay, now you're free before calmly walking away, convinced he had just executed a flawless crime. Driven by the fear of letting this man harm other young girls, Mary was determined to seek help. I knew that if he were to do this to somebody else, they wouldn't survive it, and I don't know if I'm gonna survive this. So I had to get up as quickly as I could to get help. Against all odds, she coated her remaining arms in mud and gained the strength to crawl out of the pipe. 
and I climbed out of the culvert and up the cliff. The way the detectives told me they traced the blood going back up, and this is how you did it, but you did it. Struggling to stand and maintain balance, Mary pulled herself up the steep cliff and trekked three miles to the nearest highway. During the exhausting journey, she kept her arms raised to reduce the bleeding and prevent her muscles from protruding. Upon spotting a Corvette convertible, she screamed while desperately attempting to signal the passing car. Yet upon witnessing the horrifying sight of her bloody, armless body, the older couple inside panicked and swiftly sped away. Mary remembers a Corvette convertible coming toward her. And I screamed to stop, to help me. And I was thinking, gosh, I I must look a mess. I'm going to get scared. And they did get scared and they drove off. I told myself maybe if I'm nicer and I ask please to help, maybe the next people will help me. Luckily for Mary, two other individuals stopped to assist shortly after that and promptly rushed her to the nearest hospital. At the hospital, Mary underwent immediate surgery where doctors labored tirelessly to mend her shattered body. Following a period of recovery, she received prosthetic arms utilizing parts of her leg to salvage what remained of her right arm. It was a miracle Mary survived, but she would never recover from the gruesome attack that robbed her of the chance to ever again run her fingers through her hair, caress a child's face, or hold a lover's hand. All of this brings Mary great pain. You told me you thought about suicide. Yes, I have. He took away my life. I mean, this isn't living, this is existing. It won't leave, I can't escape it. I wake up to it every day. Just waking up to no hands. After surviving the brutal attack, her determination grew stronger than ever to ensure that Lawrence faced the consequences for the horror he had inflicted upon her. Not knowing the man's name who had tortured her, she engraved his face in her memory, vividly preserving every detail. Assisting law enforcement, a composition sketch was created, dubbed by the press as a mad chopper. As the image circulated to the public, the precision of the drawing proved remarkable, leading to the swift identification of Lauren Singleton, a 50-year-old retired merchant seaman. When authorities apprehended him for questioning, it was no surprise that Lawrence denied any knowledge or acquaintance with Mary. Despite his protests of innocence, he was ultimately detained and formally charged with kidnapping, rape, sodomy, and attempted murder. The trial commenced half a year after the crime's occurrence in March 1979. Mary, the sole witness to the horrifying incident, stood prepared to testify against him. Facing a crowded courtroom, she recounted her story while Lawrence fixed a piercing stare at the teenager he attempted to murder. After her harrowing ordeal, Mary faced her attacker in court. She was determined to see him punished. I can recall her eyes just almost growing. And then she pointed to him and she did it with the prosthetic devices. 
and she did it so directly. Uh, I think everybody's heart stopped. What was it like to see his face again? I saw that just pure hate, pure evil. After her testimony, she walked by the defendant as he muttered, I'll finish the job even if it takes the rest of my life. In the end, the jury unanimously declared Lauren Singleton guilty on all counts and was given a 14-year sentence, the maximum punishment permissible by law during that time. Mary also filed a civil lawsuit to claim compensation for the pain and inability to work caused by the loss of her arms. She's been on and off welfare for years. I have to work 10 times harder than the average person with hands to do anything, to fold clothes, do dishes. Mary's injuries still require constant attention. Her prosthetic arm should be replaced every year, but the staggering cost has made that impossible. Despite being granted a civil judgment of $2.56 she received nothing as he had no assets or funds to his name. In 1987, after serving just eight years of his prison sentence, Lawrence was granted parole. This decision was influenced by his alleged good behavior during incarceration and his role as a teaching assistant in the prison classroom. The prosecutor who helped convict him strongly disagreed with his release, saying he was still a threat and wasn't an offender who could change. Unfortunately, his prediction later came true. The public outrage following his light sentence and early release led California to enact the Singleton Bill. This legislation mandated that individuals who committed exceptionally heinous crimes would face sentences no shorter than 20 years to life in prison. How many times have you moved in the last 15 years? Too many to remember. Every time I move, there's always something I have to leave behind. Afraid she'll be tracked down by Singleton, Mary is always looking over her shoulder. She relies on a friend, Bob Clayton, for protection. He volunteers his time as her bodyguard. Though Lawrence got his freedom back, his handlers soon realized that helping him reintegrate back into society was much more complicated than they thought. Hundreds of residents across various towns protested against his presence, advocating to keep him away from their families, ultimately leading him to settling in a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin State Prison. He remained at this location on parole for about a year before being fully released, once again becoming a free man. In 1988, Lawrence gathered his few possessions and returned to his home state of Florida. Compared to his notoriety in California, he was far less infamous there, allowing him to settle into a quiet life, at least for a while. Just two years after returning to society, he got arrested for multiple shoplifting charges and was back in prison, serving a 24-month sentence. After being released for the third time, Lawrence had three years of a relatively normal life. His neighbors described him as kind, some even believed he was wrongfully committed. But as time went on, it became evident that Lawrence's mental state remained deeply troubled. A neighbor eventually found him unconscious in his car filled with carbon monoxide with a suicide note. The note read, I hope that I find peace. I would like to thank everyone who helped me. Please have me cremated and have my ashes thrown into Palm River on the outgoing tide. Having survived the suicide attempt, Lawrence was admitted to a psychiatric care facility and later discharged. 
For a while, life was pretty normal again until early 1997 when Lauren Singleton's true colors emerged once again. On February 19, 1997, a 31-year-old woman named Roxanne Hayes, who worked as a prostitute to support her three young children, met Lawrence at his home. A house painter who arrived at the residence unexpectedly shortly after Roxanne's arrival heard screams coming from inside and peered through the window. To his shock, he witnessed Lawrence viciously beating and choking a young woman as she struggled desperately to survive. Fearing for his own safety, the terrified painter drove away, leaving Roxanne to fend for herself and called 911. When police arrived at the house, Lawrence, covered in blood, tried to explain that the blood came from accidentally cutting himself while chopping vegetables but authorities quickly rejected his explanation as they had already spotted the lifeless body of Roxanne Lee Hayes on his floor. Lying in a pool of blood, Roxanne had suffered multiple stab wounds and her fingers were nearly severed during the struggle. Lawrence, who is she? Why'd you kill her? I have no comment. How did you kill her? I have no comment. How did all this start tonight? I have no comment. Lawrence, the people were right, weren't they? Yeah, they're right. I, I got framed the first time. Yeah, this time, it, I did. Go through the car, Lawrence. This time, you say you did it? You say you did do it, sir? Yeah, after I got it. Who is she? Why? Never mind. Is your girlfriend? Yeah, it's Yeah. Watch your head. Okay. Why'd you do it, sir? She upset you? He's made some statements tonight. Yes, he has made some statements. He has uh, made some admissions to his time. Did he say who this is, why he killed her, how he killed her? Uh, well, I wouldn't get into all those details. You know, we're very early in the investigation right now. We're right in the process of executing a search warrant up there to recover the victim's body. Um, you know, we'll, we'll know a lot more about this tomorrow. Did he say who she is? Uh, he didn't uh, want to offer us any further information. But he has made some statements. He has made some statements. Of admission or yes, confession. He has made some statements of admitting guilt. Some neighbors there apparently said that he tried to take his own life a couple of weeks ago. Has he said anything about I don't what he's been depressed or what's going on with him? I don't have any information on that at all. What else can you tell us about this case? A pretty bloody scene or what? Uh, well, you know, we had a deputy that did a great job. Uh, the deputy that responded out there on a domestic call. Uh, he went out there and he was handling the call when he observed uh, part of the female body inside the residence. Uh, he was by himself at that point and, and uh, did a real good job of getting Mr. Singleton back outside the residence and taking him into custody. Uh, and of course, at that point, securing the scene, checking to make sure there was no other victims inside of it or anything. And the deputy just did an excellent job on this case. When questioned, he stated that her death was an act of self-defense, claiming she had agreed to a sexual exchange for $20. But after the transaction, she attempted to steal money from his wallet. When he confronted her, he claimed that she threatened him with a knife. They then engaged in a struggle for control over the weapon, even though he had no visible marks. In the end, the police dismissed his allegations and Lawrence was charged with first-degree murder. 
After hearing about Roxanne's death, Mary Vincent traveled from California to Florida and willingly testified against her assailant in court once again. After a powerful recounting of her traumatic experience, the judge sentenced Lawrence Singleton to death row. However, Lawrence wouldn't live to face his execution. Just four years later, in December of 2001, he succumbed to cancer in a prison hospital. Do you have a dream for the future? I had a dream once. I've had a lot taken from me and I think I... I think I deserve just a chance to see if I can make a go of it. Mary Vincent has already survived such sorrow and shown such grace. You have to admire her strength and you hope that one day she will find the peace she deserves. After Lawrence's death, Mary Vincent was finally free from the fear of her former captor fulfilling his horrifying promise. With time, she not only learned to navigate the challenges of her traumatic memories, but also mastered the use of her prosthetic arms. Embracing resilience, Mary undertook the journey of self-discovery, acquiring new skills such as cooking and drawing and evolving into a talented artist. Her journey extended beyond personal triumphs as Mary went on to build a family, instilling the crucial lesson of caution around strangers to her two young sons. She also continues to advocate for those often neglected by the system. Mary has become a beacon of hope, inspiring others to overcome adversity and find strength in their own resilience. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate the show, and follow me on Instagram at Exhibit May Podcast. 